Hey folks, it's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. This week's episode is all about effective training. Actually, more importantly, it's about the only way to train effectively. Sounds a little arrogant, right? Well, the fact is, training is a big deal. How you spend your time, you'll hear all kinds of things about quality training, it's quality over quantity. A lot of that stuff actually does make sense. But for the most part, when you're talking about training, you don't want to go ahead and waste your time merely repeating something over and over again. Because in the end, if you just repeat something over and over again, but it doesn't have some kind of degree of improvement you're not going to get anywhere. So for this, we're going to tear a page right out of the Necronomicon Sagittarium. YouTube video coming to you soon. Still working on that, but I digress. Anyway, so what do we mean by training the right way? Or tra- the only way to train, actually? Let's start with what is the common view of training? Well, training or practicing, if you want to call it that. Most people and most coaches, and this is where I have a little problem, most coaches believe they teach you how to do something and they just tell you, do it like this and repeat it. And they improperly believe that merely repeating something is actually going to make a difference. You see, the problem is, The human mind is very, very complex. It's probably the most complex computer on the planet. As far as we come in history, they really don't understand exactly how all of it works. But there are some things that we've come to understand. And one of the things is that if you're going to have somebody try to learn something, they have to learn Either A, out of necessity, because necessity is always the parent of fast learning. Or, they need to learn indirectly something, because you can actually condition someone to do something without them realizing it. Sounds confusing, I know, but it's not meant to be. It's not a mysterious thing anyway, even though it comes out of the Necronomicon. But let me explain exactly what I'm talking about, and I think you'll start to follow along as as I kind of clear the the mist around this thing. First, we're going to start off with training you to do something out of necessity. What do we mean by that? Well, let's just say that... um, You walk outside, and it's hailing. You've got frozen ice coming down at you. Do you normally just walk out there and get pelted with it? No, you put your hands over your head, or you put up an umbrella, or something, because you've been indirectly conditioned to protect yourself from falling objects. Now, that's a learned response that you have 
It didn't take that long. It's a self-defense sort of thing. But you do it without really thinking about it. It's natural. Conditioned response. Now, most people, when they're told to do something, run into one problem, and I see this with coaches all the time. They talk at their students. They say, do this. But then you have to wonder, does a student even understand what they're saying? And a lot of times, unfortunately, they don't. So in order for a student to conceptualize what you're saying to them, they actually have to be shown what it is. So anyone who sees me teaching on the range will tell you two things about me. One, my hands never stop moving. I'm very descriptive when I'm trying to show somebody how to do something. Because the idea is, and the key word is, I'm showing them how to do something, not telling them. Telling somebody allows them to interpret their own way of doing it, which you want them to adapt it so it works for them, True, but if they've never done this before or they're used to doing it and they're doing it improperly, you need to show them how to do it right. So the basis of all training, especially effective training, is to know what you're doing, the groundwork for it first. So I'll use an example. I had a new coach who asked me to come and help him out. Because he's just starting out, just got certified, he's working with his first student, she's had maybe two days behind the bow, and he's trying to explain to her, he's like, center your scope in the middle of the peep. Well, needless to say, after he's trying to beat that into her, not literally, just like trying to emphasize what he's talking about, she wasn't getting it. So I said, okay, let let me jump in here for a second, and I said, look, Do you understand what he means by center it in there? And a lot of times people won't say when they're confused about something. And I'll tell you up front, if you're a student and you're learning from somebody, never be bashful to tell them, I don't get what you're talking about. Because what you're going to do is waste your own time. In her case, she didn't know what he was calling the scope was her sight. That little, little thread was confusing her. So then I said, listen, this is how you do it. And I took out a piece of paper and I pen. I said, here's your, your sight your sight scope, okay? And here's your peep. Put the sight scope so it's even inside the peep. Good to go. She figured it out in about two minutes, knew exactly what I was talking about, and was able to do it. Again, descriptive information helps. But by her knowing what she was now to do, She had the plan together for training. And I told her, I said, what you want to strive to do is to make sure of two things. One, that it's always perfectly outlined in the middle of the peep. And two, that you're able to keep it like that through your shot process. So I just didn't tell her, here, throw it up in there, put it in the center, and shoot. I told her what I want her to work on. So I gave her the subject of her training. So again, if you're not shown what it is, it's hard to learn it. 
Now, we can go deeper than that because this gets to what I'm talking about, my method for effective training. How many of you out there, I'm going to date myself with this, but how many of you out there have seen the old movie The Karate Kid? So in that movie, uh, the teacher agrees to take on this student and show him how, how to how to fight. He's teaching him karate. But he tells the kid to come over, start your training. He comes over, and what does he do? He says, here, I want you to sand my floors. And he shows him the proper motion to sand his floors. The next day, he tells him, here, paint my fence. Up and down, left and right. And then he tells him the next day, wax my cars. And he had a lot of them. But by the end of that day, I forget which order it was. All I know is that by the end of the third day, this kid was really, really angry. He's like, I want you to teach me karate. You're not doing that. And he was about to give up. And then the old man says, show me how to sand the floor with the motion of your hands. Turns out he's showing him how to block. Show me how to paint the fence. Another way. So indirectly, he was teaching him what he had to, but he wasn't teaching the conscious student. He was teaching the student's brain, the student's computer. Indirectly teaching somebody how to do something, indirectly training the brain to repeat something and work on it by what we call a conditioned response is the only way, most of the time, to train effectively. Now, like I said, this is the effective way to do it. And it's effective because you don't realize what you're doing is actually helping you to sharpen your skill. So, let's get into that a little bit more. How does this help us in archery? Well, as another example, look at it like this. If I told you to do something, and I said, this is the motion, is not something that you're normally used to. Just being able to complete the motion, like drawing back your bow a particular way, or holding on the target, Just being able to complete that task may seem like success, but the problem is you'll be, in practice, repeating it to a degree which is not the ultimate polished version of it. So, what do you need to do? What you need to do, like I said, is understand the principle of what you're being told. So what I do is with with students, adults, kids, doesn't make a difference. I will explain to them what I'm showing them, what the end goal of it is going to be. And then I'll have them do it. And the first couple of times they do it, it's not going to seem 
the cleanest thing in the world. They've never done it before. They're going to struggle with it. And I can help them through that a little bit. But let's just say session one's over and it was an aiming session. I'm telling you, okay, what I want you to do is center your peep, all that on the scope, and I want you to put it on the middle of the target, and I want you to hold it there. Now, holding it there and then having him shoot it, or a lot of times I find center everything, hold it on the target, and then let down on your draw, which is very hard to learn. But it's an aiming drill. I'm telling here, aim, get in there, okay, then let down. Or aim, get in there, and shoot. And that works to a point. But what happens is, for aiming drills, as an example, they only have sometimes once once a week sessions or two times a week sessions with me to work on that. And one thing that you do learn is that unless you're doing something in repetition a lot, meaning at least a couple times a day, it's very hard to sharpen that skill. Now, you can consciously try and force yourself to do it every time that you're on the line, okay? Which, like I say, could be once a week or twice a week for an hour here or there. And how you, how you make that work is really the question. So you're not going to perfect this in just a week. You're not going to perfect it in a month of doing this. If you're only doing it once or twice for an hour a week. So what do we do? What I do in my method for teaching them this is very simple. I tell them, all right, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and in your free time, if it's a kid, when you're at lunch or when you're doing something else, you know, when you have free time, period. After you've done your homework, whatever, I want you to take a pencil. And I want you to have that that eraser on top of the pencil. And I want you to just hold up your arm naturally like you would when you're drawing. And I want you to take that and focus on something that's perpendicular to you. Focus holding the eraser on there really, really tight. And you're going to see that it moves on you. What I want you to do is now just relax. Drop it on on there on what you're trying to hold it on. Relax and then just lock your eye on the target. And they'll suddenly see that it doesn't move a lot. Now what happens is I have them do this a couple times a day, whatever it is, five minutes here, ten minutes there. But the thing about it is they're doing it multiple times per day. It's part of their regimen. Well, what happens from that is very simple. Since they're doing this now, it becomes conditioning more than it is training to do that. Okay? So now they come down for their session at the range with me. And they're like, I get what you're trying to teach me here, but what's the whole purpose? And I say, fine. Now, draw your bow back, right? 
center to peep and everything. And instead of trying to hold that pin on the target, drop it onto the bull, relax, lock your eye onto the middle of the target, and focus on the target. All of a sudden, they notice their pin is steadying. Now, mind you, their mind has already gotten a program to run when they're doing this. So I'm not really teaching them anything that they're not used to doing a couple of days a week or even every day if that's the way they're training. And it makes them improve a lot. Now, as they're working on it, training effectively, they're going to work on always relaxing more and more. And eventually, that thing doesn't move. And then I teach them, like, if it does move, just accept what it is, and the more relaxed you are, the less it's going to move. So they are able to improve on what they're doing. Now, again, what you're doing is you're indirectly training someone to do something by creating a conditioned program within them that they're using to perform one of their archery skills. Since they're doing it all the time and just applying it to the archery for that particular task, it becomes easy and it becomes something that they understand and know how to work to engage and improve upon. Now, another example of that would be you have a person who has a problem relaxing their hand when they're holding their release or if they're shooting a recurve relaxing their hand as a hook when it's on the string you may think that the two things are not related because one's shooting release and one's shooting with the fingers no they're exactly related they're exactly the same we have to condition the response to always keep that hand relaxed Now, if I just tell you, relax your hand, most people are going to say, I can't, I'm afraid of dropping the release, I'm afraid of letting the bow go, and then I'll explain to them why that's not going to happen. How that once they set their hook into the release, or they set their hook on the string, your hand, when relaxed, is a natural hook, and when it's past that first knuckle and sitting right in there in that pad in between, or in the case of a recurve shooter, sitting right on that first set of knuckles in there, that your hand has the ability to hang like a hook. And that hook, when you're relaxed, is not going to fail you. Again, remember in the last couple episodes, we talked about building confidence. Well, you can't have confidence in learning how to do something if you don't understand how it works. So I tell them how it works. And again, working on on that particular item for them, I'm like, here, relax your hand. And they can learn to relax the hand over a one-hour session, whatever it is. But then once they leave, if there's nothing else for them to do, that goes away until the next time. And if they... Don't have their mind know what they're doing the next time. Important word here is their mind. They could do it improperly. And it takes way less time to learn how to do something improperly than it does to do it 
properly. What we do is we take the brain out of it again and we indirectly train it the Mr. Miyagi way to do something without knowing it's being trained to do something. So how do I train them to hold the release in their hand and their arm completely relaxed? I'm not going to have them use some expensive equipment. You all have coffee mugs at home, right? Or at your office, whatever. Here's what I want them to do and what I tell them to do. Place that coffee mug in the same place you're going to put the release or in the same knuckle that you're going to put the string. Let your arm hang down, relaxed. Coffee mug's not going to fall out of your hand. The natural hook that holds your release and that holds your string is going to work. And when are you going to practice this? Well, if you're a kid and you've got nothing better to do at home, sit there while you're watching TV, your arm's hanging down, holding that coffee mug. You're learning how to relax that arm. Now, they will find out right away that if they tense their arm for any reason or twitch that arm for any reason, when the state goes from relaxed to tense, it's very easy to drop it. So they're conditioned to learn that relaxing allows that natural hook to do its thing. Adults especially, when I'm telling them, this is what you do when you go for coffee at work or something like that. You're walking over to the kitchen to get the coffee or you're going downstairs, whatever it is. Take your mug with you. Let it hang as you walk five minutes back and forth. Take it to the kitchen to, you know, you're at home. You can go drop off your mug, whatever, to, into the sink or something like that, into the dishwasher. Carry it that way. Doing this every day, a couple times a day, will condition you to act a certain way, to hold and relax a certain way. Now you come for your training again. And I tell you, work on relaxing that hand. Well, indirectly, you've been training yourself to relax that hand the whole week. Now imagine this. You've been practicing indirectly to do this and training yourself without your brain realizing it the entire week. But now suddenly, you're just applying that learned response to another aspect of your shooting. And I I get really creative with this stuff because if someone realizes what you're doing at first, they're not going to really go with it. So, you know, it's really, really easy to do. Now, another thing. Most people, okay, when you're aiming at a target, will realize that your impact point can change depending on to what degree you're turning your head. And they don't get accustomed to turning their head to the same degree every single time. No, I'm not going to have them strap their chin and take their chin to their shoulder or something like that so they can like indirectly form a permanent tick or something like that because that doesn't work. But again, now we move to our range session. What happens? I'm like, here, turn your head, and we want to try to get the head in the same line every single time. It has to be comfortable for you. So I'm not rigidly telling them, you got to twist your head like a robot all the way to the left if you're a right-handed shooter and look down the line because that's impossible to repeat. Something that's uncomfortable, 
the body will refuse to repeat it because it potentially could do damage to it. So I stress, make it comfortable when you're looking that way, okay? Chin up, looking to the left, so it's comfortable but not overly stressing yourself. And then what I tell them is, okay, fine, you got that so far. Here's your assignment for this week to add to the other two assignments. What I want you to do is, Look in your drawer for an old pair of glasses or an old pair of sunglasses or whatever if you don't use glasses. If you got nothing laying around, no old pairs of glasses, run down to the pharmacy. They have these reading glasses. They're like 2 or $3, whatever. Costco sells like a whole stack of them for like 10 bucks, whatever it is. Take one of those pairs of glasses, and I want you to put them on. No, I don't want you to read with them. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take a magic marker while you have those glasses on. Okay, and I want you to put it, take that magic marker, the pointed magic marker, and put it so it, the, the point makes a dot right at the center of the, of the lens for your shooting eye as you're looking straight ahead. So your head's not turning or anything like that. I'm just going to bring it to the center of my shooting eye and mark that lens. Now, what I tell them is, okay, I want you to pick something that's perpendicular to you in the room just like you'd be looking at your target. So you're standing sideways, and you're looking at a target on the wall of some kind. If you want to use a real target, or if you just want to learn to target something else, I really don't care. You don't need anything special for this. And then what I tell them is, turn your head so it's comfortable for you. Now, speaking from the vision of a right-handed person, you'd be the opposite for a left-handed person. Turn your head to the left so it's comfortable for you as you look at that target, or whatever you're going to focus your attention on while you're wearing those glasses. And I want you to pay attention because when you turn your head, your eyeball's going to turn to make up the difference of how much your head doesn't turn. So if you're being comfortable, again, maintaining comfort while encouraging repetition, you're being comfortable, you're turning your head like that, and you look, and you're going to notice that as you're looking at the target, that dot is not in the center of the lens anymore. It's moved slightly to the right because your eyeball is turning to compensate for how much your head doesn't turn. And what I want you to do is then just return your head to its normal position and do it again. As you do that a certain number of times, you're going to realize that when you're not turning your head enough, the dot doesn't move as far. When you're turning your head too much, it becomes uncomfortable, and the dot moves further. So you learn to see where the dot is supposed to be. And in doing that, you're training your neck and your head to make a repeated motion, something that becomes another automatic program. Now, you do that for 10, 15 minutes a day for the course of a week. You're going to indirectly condition yourself to understand how far that neck's got to turn and to what angle it's got to be. Now you come down to the range again, and we're working with you, and you're going to go ahead and you're going to shoot, and I'm going to tell you, keep that head turned. You don't have those glasses on anymore, but you've already begun to condition yourself for how far that needs to be. And believe it or not, at that point, Your body's starting to learn, this is the comfortable position, and this is where I should be. 
It's like you put an auto stop on there, and it knows how far it's got to go, how, to what degree your eye is going to compensate for it. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to find out, I don't have as many left and rights. Why? Because my, my head is always turned the same degree. I'm comfortable, but always turning the same degree, so I always have the same sight picture. And it's that simple. Indirectly, I've trained you for it. And what happens is, as you're training effectively for this, you're doing it more often, you're doing it all the time, you're doing it when you're home. You're not having to be at the range or having to shoot a bow to do it. So we're conditioning you to run that program. So after a couple of weeks, you've run the program for relaxing your hand on on the on the grip of the release or the string for your hook. You're concentrating and relaxing on aiming because you're relaxing and focusing your eye instead of trying to hold the pin in there. And now your head's at the same degree every single time. What happens is since you're working on those things multiple times a week in your free time and whatever it is, then you apply them to your archery tactics. They become a total solution. Remember what I said, build a foundation, build confidence in what you're doing. One of the three C's of archery, build control. Well, if you have confidence in what you're doing all of a sudden, you're going to get control over it. You have control because that's derived from programming your body indirectly to do what you want and creating those little programs that run on their own. So now it's not just limited to that one hour a week or two hours a week that you're at the range. You're conditioning yourself to do it. So those are like the three core ones that I start people off with. And then I've got other things that you can work on, again, indirectly coming to them in different ways that we've learned how to do this. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, I could just buy one of those training aids or something like that. The problem with training aids, okay, they're great for working on something when you try to perfect it without the ability to shoot a bow, okay? But that's consciously trying to work on something. And the problem with that is that if it's not something your body's used to, it's not going to do you much good. Now, this goes for anything that's out there. Because when people say, well, I want to be able to train when I'm not on the range. Well, go out and buy an AccuBow. And there is nothing wrong with an AccuBow. But they're expensive, number one. They're over 100 bucks, which in this day and age is a lot of money to spend on something. To train for something you're going to do an hour or two a week. But like I said, nothing wrong with them. The only thing that's wrong with them is that when you're using one, you're consciously trying to repeat that thing. And what you want to do is you want to work on the program unconsciously. So in its, in an essence, you're trying to train your brain to do something that it ordinarily would be like, oh, i got to put all this together. No, I'm training different pieces of my program. So instead of using an AccuBow or something like that, you may want to just work on, if you're going to work on pulling and stuff like that, get a TheraBand or, or the, the, the shrink tubing that's really, really thick. The thicker it is, the heavier it is, 
the more simulation of draw weight. Again, your brain is not seeing a bow in front of you, so it's not afraid of the explosion that's going to happen when it releases. So you're indirectly training and building strength. Again, we're training effectively. Now, the last thing I'll, I'll tell you about, and believe me, there's a lot more other things. I'll cover them in another episode about how to indirectly create programs that your body can use so that you're constantly training the entire week, not just those sessions. But the other one, and this one, people, they're like, really? I'm like, it works. All you do, okay, is take a rubber band. Not a really long one, but not a really short one either. You'll, you'll be able to find something that works for you. And you're going to double wrap it around your index finger. and Or if you're a thumb shooter, your thumb. And your fourth finger on the hand, which is right next to the pinky. So you're going to wrap one end of it double around there and the other end of it double around your either your index finger or your thumb. And then all you're going to do is you're going to hang your arm down. Remember, it's got to be relaxed when you're shooting. And you're going to start to pull, relaxing your thumb, slowly, slowly pulling. And what's going to happen is if you do it too fast, automatically that other finger is going to curl right away. It almost has like a snap response to it. But once you learn how to do it controlled, remember what I said, slowly and controlled, where you have the ability to control it, as you do it, then the other one's going to get to a point, and then it's going to start to move. And you're going to learn that you can let up some pressure, and it moves back and bring it down, but you won't have that little snap on it. Same thing with the thumb. If you're pulling your thumb towards your wrist, okay, it has the same effect. Pull the thumb, pull the thumb, the, the thumb, and it starts to move slowly with that rubber band. Pull it too fast, boom, the, the, the knuckle will lock, and it'll just come down really fast. But then you can learn where the limits are and everything else and slowly controlling it. So it may seem kind of stupid for what you're listening to, but it's actually training you to have control over how you set off your shot. Now, if you're able to do that, while I'm watching TV, I'm just doing that. Because you're paying attention to the TV, right? Well, subconsciously, you're also working on this. And guess what? Now you get to the range. Now I'm telling you, okay, work on your thumb. I don't want you yanking it. I don't want you punching it. I want you to squeeze. Same thing for an index finger shooter. I want you to squeeze that index finger. Remember, just make it like when you're trying not to pull that other finger out of wax or they're locked. And all of a sudden, they learn control, how to squeeze it and not punch it. Why? Because they indirectly program their brain to learn the movement. They created another program that teaches them the movement. All these things add to the building blocks of proper form and technique. And once you do it, you know how you can constantly improve it because remember what you said about effective training you have to make sure that you're just not repeating the same thing over and over again each module of your training must be geared toward improving if you don't improve you're gonna get nowhere you're basically remember what they say about that quality over quantity there's some truth in that because if you're not doing it with a focus on improving then there's no point in doing it again Because if I don't care where a ball lands, 
I could toss it a thousand times. But if I want it to hit the same exact spot every single time, I'll have to practice control. I'll have to practice technique. I'll have to practice force to get it to do what I want to do. And the more that I practice it, the more I hone those skills, the more consistent I'm going to become. And remember, the key to successful archery is consistency. But we're not just settling for okay, we're constantly sharpening it and improving upon it. And by doing that, we form our total system that's constantly evolving to a better place. If you just say, well, I got to this and I can shoot a 300 and all that, and you let it go at that, you're going to what they call plateau. And the problem with a plateau is that once you become satisfied with somewhere where you are, slowly you'll get lazy and it'll degrade and it'll fall off that plateau and you start to go downhill. So the way that we avoid that is we're constantly honing those motor programs. We're not doing anything. And this is for someone who's been shooting 20 years or someone who's been shooting two days. Because you're constantly training your brain as a machine to do something more effectively, which will translate to your game. So that's why when I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, like if you're happy hitting at 20 yards and you master 20 yards, you have to make it harder for yourself. Now move that target to 25 or 30 yards. And now when you master that, move it to 35 yards. When you master that, so on, so forth. Never letting it flatten out. Never becoming content with where you got. You do something like that, and it's always, like the old saying goes, onwards and upwards. You're always striving to make it better. Hence, the whole process of effective training. Training without improvement is just repeating something that eventually will go downhill. So what we want is not only repetition to be the result, but improved efficiency in that repetition. So it's just like if you were sharpening a sword, it starts out dull. Your goal is to make it the sharpest thing. And when it dulls a little bit, to continue to make it sharp. And as long as you rely on those principles, your training is always going to be worthwhile, effective. And you'll never say to yourself, what am I doing this for? Because with the right mindset, you're saying, I keep at this. I keep improving. No matter what, the sky is the limit. I'm not going to push myself to a wall because there is no wall. Because as long as I'm working on one technique or another, I can improve everything as a whole. And that's the whole thing behind this. Improve everything as a whole. Train effectively. Train with a purpose. The purpose is to make yourself better, more better than the last time. Never accept going backwards. So if you just don't feel like it one day, you're going to notice that your form, your accuracy will all pay for it. But you have to just snap out of it and say, you know what? I only want to do better and better. If I, my goal was to put 10 arrows in the 10 ring today 
out of 30, and I did it, well, now I'm not happy with that. I want to do 15 arrows in the 10 ring. I want to do 20 arrows in the 10 ring. I shot a 300 with 25 X's. I want a 300 with 29 X's. I want a 300 with 30 X's. I accomplished that because I'm training effectively. Now I want two 300s in a row with 30 X's. And you continue to make those programs more and more efficient. So that's what we're talking about when we're saying training effectively. Taking a page right out of the Necronomicon of ours. It's a secret that has been known for a very long time, but just telling somebody to do something doesn't work. You have to indirectly train them to do it. Train yourself to build those programs and to make them work cohesively and efficiently together. Once you've done that, then you're in the right spot to succeed. All right, so that'll do that for effective training. Of course, if you ever have any questions about that, feel free to email me uh, or leave a message on the website, which, by the way, there's another improvement to the website coming soon. We're going to redesign it a little bit, still working on it, but you'll see it within the next week or two. So now we're going to get to our listener emails. So this week, Jack C. from Brooklyn, New York writes, Hi there, my son and I recently found your podcast, and I have to say there's a lot of content. I try when I can, now that I'm back doing it. We are working our way through through it now, and it has really opened up our eyes to a lot of stuff we would never have even thought of. So thanks for that. No problem. It's part of what I try to do. My son is 12 and started shooting at a range here in Brooklyn. Not the cheapest place, but it's what he wanted to do. So I got him his first bow in July for his birthday, and he has taken a few lessons there. Now, he's been averaging about eight lessons a month. Uh, it's about twice a week, okay since that's all we can afford. But no matter what he does, he constantly shoots either high or low, groups of tall and skinny, but always like a line right through the bullseye from the six ring down to the other end of the six ring. So he's got him tall and skinny. The instructor just tells him to center his peep, and that will come with time. Remember, I picked these out because they relate to the subjects I'm discussing. Well, this has been going on since September, and all the guy keeps saying is, Add more lessons and he'll get better. But he's getting really frustrated. We can't afford more lessons. In fact, eight is really too much. And we're getting nowhere. It doesn't help that he almost never has the same instructor. I guess they rotate people, so they're not really instructors. They're just staff. But they all say the same thing. What would you suggest for this? I really appreciate anything you can suggest. Okay. Remember what I was saying about the girl who was showing with the peep? This is almost exactly the same thing. An instructor who talks at someone and doesn't explain to them what they're trying to create creates a problem. Because the student doesn't really comprehend what's going on. And just by telling him, do this, do this, do this, do this. It's the same thing as me not wasting my breath, writing up a little sign that says, sending your peep, sticking it on a board, and having it right there. So when, when he's shooting, look over the board, read what it says, and keep doing it. It's stupid. It's ludicrous. It's not teaching. It's not conditioning. Especially with the younger students, 
they'll get frustrated right away, and then all of a sudden they're not succeeding. They don't want to do it anymore. It's not fun. After all, who wants to do something that's aggravating? And on top of everything else, they're paying for lessons they can't afford. So they have to make the most out of them. And I'm not saying that people are, you know, being sinister about, well, keep paying for more lessons and we'll see what we can do. Sometimes there are people like that. Most of the time, these instructors, because remember a long time ago I said there's a big difference between an instructor and a coach, don't have the first clue what they're doing or how to communicate that to somebody. Or even worse, if they do have a clue, they don't care. Hey, I'm only here for three hours of the day today. I just want to get through that go home. Who winds up paying for it is the student. And I don't care if they're a kid or an adult, you have to make sure that you explain it to them. So I emailed them back and I said, okay, can you send me a picture of how he's shooting and all that? He did. And then I said, can you explain to him a circle within a circle and keeping his head and his chin up? Foreign concept. Did a Zoom session with him. I said, hey, listen, this is what's going on. When I explained it to him, just like I explained it to to that other young lady, he got it. It's not saying that he didn't understand the English words being spoken to him by that instructor, in quotes. But what it's saying is he didn't comprehend what was being meant by that. And that I'm telling him to do this and now he comprehends in his head what's going on for a purpose. So I gave him the pencil drill and all that. He's down to, because they really couldn't afford it, I think he's down to like three sessions a month or something like that. But guess what? He's not shooting those crazy groups anymore because he's conditioning himself to run that program that does that. It was a very, very simple little change, but again had to do, as it was a subject of this, of training effectively and not training by trying to listen to something and trying to figure out what it means. And once that was cleared up, he was fine. So at least we got to help him out. And our second email this week, we only got two, is from Byron J. from Tucson, Arizona. Hi, Coach. Love the show. Thank you very much. Listening for over a year now and glad to see you back. Glad to be back. I've been struggling with target panic, or at least that's what they tell me, for over four months now. All right. I didn't like where this was going to begin with. I used to have pretty good groups, then it all went south. Now my groups are 10 inches at 20 yards. I rarely hit the bullseye. The shop suggested I blank bail. Don't get me started on blank bailing. I remember what you said about that, and you were right. It didn't work. Well, no kidding. They also suggest I go to a hinge release. If I could get my sound effects to work, you'd hear the sound of, like, screeching brakes. And I remember what you said about those. So what do I do? Really anxious to hear what you think. All right. So he's going through what he thinks is target panic, okay? And their solution was, go to a hinge, that fixes anybody. Or blank bail, that should fix you too. In our last podcast, I brought up new terms that I want all of my audience to be familiar with, including horse hockey. 
Not true. Nonsense. Stupid. Those are all the reasons they gave him. Blank bailing is not going to help you. It's not the purpose of it. They're taking it as something they saw on the internet or read somewhere. Stupid. Switching to a hinge release. Changing the release is not going to help you either. Also, equally stupid. How about not trying to replace one problem with another and just solving the issue? If you don't understand how to fix it, then ask somebody else. But telling someone to do something that obviously is just a Hail Mary to see if it's going to work, it's not going to be any good. So I talked to Byron, actually had him call me, and I went over what his problem really is. Again, I've never seen him shoot, but he, he said the TP word, target panic. And I'm like, well, what you have is really not target panic, but most people would describe it as. What you're experiencing, and I described a couple things to him. He says, yeah, you're right about that. I said, okay. What is happening to you is you're anticipating the target. Your body's trying to make the shot work because all of a sudden now, oh, my pin's coming into the bullseye. I just want to let it go. And you're punching the trigger. I said, do you squeeze the trigger and you punch it? He's, he's shooting a wrist strap, which to me, he was shooting a wrist strap. Why in the creator's name would you ever try to switch somebody to a hinge from a wrist strap? It's like going from one degree of insanity to another. It's going to be the biggest learning curve in the world. I said, do you have control? Can you stop that thing when you want to? I never tried. He tried. Emails me back like, yeah, dude, I can't control it. I'm like, okay, let's start there. So what's happening is you're focusing on the target, and when you get it right there, you just want to hammer it because you want it to go in. Your brain's taking over, and it's becoming an involuntary response. Textbook definition of what you would call target panic, what I would call automatic loss of control. And I gave him the aiming routine, and I gave him the rubber band thing and how to relax his hand and all that. And I said, now do this stuff when you're at work and you're at the office or whatever, and you're not doing anything better, or you're watching a movie with your wife or something like that. Uh, Practice these things. In about three or four days, I didn't hear from him, and guess what? He emails me back. He says, are you free for a call? I need to talk to you. Sure. Call me. Calls me. And he says, I don't know where you figured this stuff out from, but it really, really works. I said, yeah, so how's it going now? He's like, I'm back to my one-inch groups at 20 yards. As a matter of fact, I could probably shoot a little further if I tried. I said, good. And I told him, the one thing is, whatever you do, don't stop doing that. Don't stop your quote-unquote target panic therapy. Keep doing those things, trying to perfect them more. And as long as you're trying to perfect it and always striving to get better at it, your brain won't try to take over. And it doesn't. And then they wind up being just fine. And he's doing well. So, like I said, 
applying a little training, your practice now becomes aspiring to improve all the time. You're training to improve. You're not settling for anything. It works. Now, for that segment that everybody waits for, don't be that guy. I got to come up with some sound effects for this or something like that. Working on that, too. You know, if I got to do everything that I actually thought I would like to do, I don't think I'd have any free time during the day or at night or the weekends. I don't anyway. But I'm going to try anyway. So, this week's Don't Be That Guy goes to a certain group of people. They are the coaches and instructors and all of them. Not all of them. Just those groups of people who are, quote-unquote, training others to improve in their archery game. However, they work on the principle of do what I say, but I'm not going to show you how to do it. I'm telling you. I'm talking at you. So there are basically two types of coaches. The ones who sit back and just observe and do nothing. And they just say, well, you should really do this in a very monotone voice. Yeah, do that. It's fine. You just keep centering that peeps. all good. And then the other ones, who the other extreme, who yell and bark at somebody expecting results. So you got the one guy who's going to sit there and like, yeah, just improve on that. And then you got the other one who's like, what's wrong with you? Keep that peep centered. Keep your arm up. Keep it straight and all that. Without really explaining to you why they're telling you to do something or how you should be doing it. They tell the student, do this, do that. Doesn't demonstrate a damn thing. So don't be that guy who's going to be like, do as I'm saying without explaining anything to them. Because actually, you wind up sounding like an idiot as you rant and rave. Or the other guy who's just sitting there like, yeah, well, you should really do this. But I'm not going to really tell you what I'm talking about. Figure it out on your own. I'm going to sit here and just collect my my hourly fee as you try to figure this out. And hopefully, you'll get it one day. You know, there's an old saying. There are those who who can, and they do. And then those who can't wind up teaching. Unfortunately, in the world of archery, we wind up with a lot of those. The ones who are teaching but actually couldn't do this in practicality on their own. Which is why, if you're looking at a coach, make sure that he actually is a shooter. Not somebody who took a course like, this is how you work on your mechanics, this is how you do this, this is how you do that. Oh, do you want me to show you how it's done? I have no clue. I can't do that myself. For real? But there are really people who do that sort of thing. That whole saying, like I just said, those who can do and those who can't teach, unfortunately, is a reality. And those people shouldn't be doing this. But don't be that guy who's one of those people. For Pete's sake. I mean, really. You have a responsibility to your student. The student comes there to learn. Whether he's a young adult a little, you know, eight-year-old or an adult. They come there for a purpose, to learn. 
not to be taught, talked at. Or not to be like, you're in my presence, you'll learn on your own through osmosis. Really? Those guys are there to help you improve. And if they're not doing that, take my advice because they're being that guy and just go somewhere else. Because, like I said, if you're just going to do the same thing over and over, not understand why or how to improve because it wasn't communicated to you, then you're just wasting your time. We are all put on this earth for a finite amount of time. The idea is don't waste it. Don't waste it around an idiot who's being that guy and instead find somebody who actually has your best interest in mind. So that'll do it for that rant. And you know how I get wound up about coaches and the idiocy that I see out there. But anyway, as always, if you have any questions, email us at highpowerarchery.com at gmail.com. You can find our website at highpowerarchery.com. You can find our YouTube, Instagram. It's all there. We're building the video library. Now, as I keep mentioning in all the episodes, I'm putting together a lot of videos for reasons that I've gotten into before, but I'm not going to get into here. It's like I just want to get as many done as I can because you never know, you know, you don't know how much time you've got to work on these things. But I don't want to throw garbage out there. They're going to be quality. So try to get those all together. Editing sucks. Finding the time to do it all kind of sucks. But we're doing it. So again, if you have any questions, you know how to contact us. So that'll do it for now. I'll do it for this episode. And like we say, it's never goodbye until we meet again. Until then, stay safe and shoot straight.